This is Minnesota Liberty, brought to you by the Libertarian Party of Minnesota, bringing you peace, prosperity, and freedom from the land of 10,000 lakes. Welcome to Minnesota Liberty. We are on episode number seven, which, as I mentioned last week, is the magic episode for podcasts. You know that we're into we're in this for the long haul if we've reached episode seven. So here we are. Um, Rebecca, welcome back. Hi, how's it going? Glad you're feeling better. Um, <laughs> tonight, we are excited to bring. Uh, so last week I had uh, it was just me and Charlie, the outgoing chair. And now we've got our new chair, uh, Marianne Stebbins, and I will bring her in. Marianne, welcome. Thanks for joining us. Well, I'm happy to be here. Thank you. Um, all right. Well, so we just kind of wanted to talk. Uh, you know, I don't have a whole lot of bullet points or questions prepared. I don't think Rebecca came with much either. Um, and so you guys are kind of my bosses at this point. Rebecca, you're the vice chair, Mary Ann, uh, as chair. Uh, and I know, I know, <laughs> bosses. The, the right members right. are our bosses. That's Is true. there a boss in the Libertarian Party? Just ask <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we kind of all are. Um, but you guys are you guys are steering the ship, and that's and that's that's important. Um, so uh, welcome. I'm so glad that the three of us are together, kind of kind of just to just to talk. Um, so Marianne, before we get into like you know your vision for the party and all that stuff, why don't you kind of give us a backstory of you know where you came from and and um, why uh, why we kind of coalesced around you as chair and that kind of thing. Well, you know, I was a Republican my whole life up until this past December. Well, marginally a Republican. <laughs> I've always been a Libertarian at heart. Um, but I, I worked in the Republican Party for three decades, put in a lot of work and a lot of heartache because the harder I worked, seemed the more the Republicans voted against liberty. So um, I think what really got to me, well, let's, let's shoot back. What is it? 15 years now. Um, I first heard Ron Paul was running for president back in January of 2007. And I thought, Oh my God, finally, there's somebody running for president um, I can support. And so I jumped in with everybody else, you know, the Ron Paul forums, um, just, we, we were all grassroots. We were, you know, going out and waving signs and, you know, doing whatever we could, because if there was any chance in hell that Ron Paul could become president, uh, we were going to do whatever we could, uh, for that. So, um, the national campaign got in touch with me and I asked if I wanted to head up the Minnesota effort. And of course I was going to do everything I could. So I said, sure. And we had a fantastic little team back in 2008. Um, you know, 2008, those were the hardcore. Those were the true believers. Um, so couldn't be prouder of that group. But um, we had minimal success in 2008. You know, we were just getting started, but we did elect uh, some delegates to the national convention. Um, and at the, at the same time, the national convention was going on. That was here in Minnesota in 2008. So we held the rally for the Republic over at the Target Center while the um, RNC, the Republican National Convention, was going on over in St. Paul, and we had 10,000 people turn out there. Um, and so at that point, we were just getting going. Um, you know, fast forward a couple of years, and yes, he's running again. 
And so we were thrilled. And um, James, I know you were in on that as well in 2012. Um, but we were ready in 2012. Everything that went wrong in 2008, which partly was because we just didn't have enough people at the time, but also the Republican Party of Minnesota, they just really stomped on our state delegates. Um, so our people were, you know, they were ready to go in 2012. And um, God, I couldn't be prouder of those people. Ah, we, we had a great plan, fantastic strategy, you know, redundancies, backup plans, you know, everything in place. But the real magic of it was that everybody did their job. So right down to the precinct captains. And it was really a bottom-up strategy. It was the precinct captains owned the precincts. They were responsible for winning their precincts. Um, yes, we did target precincts and BPOUs so that we could, um, you know, elect on up to the uh, congressional district and state conventions to win those national delegates. Um, but I'll tell you what, you don't have a more intelligent group of people than Ron Paul supporters. So um, we took 14% support statewide into winning uh, 33 out of the 40 national delegates. And we did go to the national convention in 2012 and um, we were proud to put forward our 33 votes. Now, you know, the secretary of the RNC didn't actually read our votes, but um, you, you know, we, 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 we were on record, um, you know, on national TV, they, they could see that, you know, Ron Paul did win Minnesota. Um, you know, and, and I stuck with the GOP a few more years. I did end up running for uh, state representative in 2020 and just, man, the party was still pretty pissed at me. <laughs> personally. Oh, really? oh yeah. My BPOU chair, she just really really had a grudge against me at, um, still at that 20 uh, because of COVID, they didn't actually have conventions. They did uh -huh. this on zoom and um, I'm not going to go into all those details, but tell you what, it was at that point. I knew there was no future for me in the GOP. Um, so it took a couple of years to make the official jump, but I couldn't be happier. I'm home now in the Libertarian party. I am thrilled to be here. Um, I don't feel like I have to hide my views. Not that I did a very good job of it before, but um, I'm, I'm, I, I couldn't be happier to be here in the Libertarian Party. And then I'll let you pick it back up. That's my, I, I mean, in the Republican Party, I did, I, I, you know, I did everything. I was BPOU chair. I mm -hmm was on convention committees, you know, the state convention and ran the state fair booth and, you know, did all sorts of things for the GOP over 30 years and uh, had little thanks for it. So again, I'm just happy to be here in the Libertarian Party. Yeah, I, that that 2012 GOP state convention was, uh, I happened to get seated. I was an alternate and I was, it was just the most exhilarating experience of my like young adult life. Um, uh, and you know, I've I've really I've kind of enjoyed being uh, being in the LP, which is you know slightly lower stakes, I guess, um, but you know still just as fun for me personally. Uh, but I'm really I'm really excited about your vision for the party to kind of bring us a little bit less low stakes, I guess. 
Um, can you talk a little bit about what you have planned for the next year or two? Yeah. Now, remember, I was running. So, yeah. um, that's where I was coming in, you know, with um, what I would love to see us do in 2024 is elect one libertarian to the state legislature. And, and on one hand, that seems ambitious, giving our track given our track record. Um, on the other hand, it may seem minimal to a lot of people. But what do we hear when we are talking to people, whether they are on the edge of the Republican Party or on the edge of the Democratic Party or whether they're just independent? They say when we say, come, come join us in the Libertarian Party because you agree with us. They say, well, you guys can't win. And that's our first step. We're going to prove them wrong on that um, with one with just one libertarian candidate elected to the state legislature, you know, if you ever watch those proceedings on the Senate or the House floor, you see those boards light up, you know, they're all green. Well, right now, you know, the Senate is in session and they have their omnibus bills that they're putting forward. Um, we have, you know, the elections committee um, omnibus bills when we're watching like right at this moment, because they are going to be, um, voting potentially on an amendment. Um, let's backtrack. I don't know, James, if you have talked about the um, the effort to increase the threshold to become a major party from 5% to 10%. Yeah, Rebecca, um, did we cover that in a previous episode? Yeah, with um, Chip. Was, with was Chip? that with Chip okay. Tangen? Yeah. Probably. Yeah. Okay. yeah. So the, the oh, audience is familiar over. broadly with, with the shenanigans they're trying to pull last month. Or whenever it was. Well, and right now there, the Senate has a replacement amendment that we are hopeful for, which would, um, which would require the state chair of a political party to certify any candidates. Um, and I'm told by one of our friends, who was a Ron Paul guy, who is a now a state senator, that um, this amendment to have state party chairs certify their candidates would replace the increased threshold. So we're hopeful for that. It would still have to go to conference committee um, because the house did pass the provision to increase the threshold from 5% to 10%, which would be, I mean, 5% is already pretty daunting for us, but 10% would be even more difficult, but I would not give up on that because shoot back to Ron Paul with very few resources and with minimal support, we were able to turn that into a win through strategy. So um, getting back to my vision, you know, I think through, through focused strategy that we um, can elect one or more potentially, but we really want to focus our efforts into the most potential um, districts. But I do think we can win that one. And what I was getting to is, if you ever watch the proceedings on the House or the Senate floor, you see that board light up all green because nobody has the guts to ever vote against, you know, the omnibus bills, against farmers, against children, education, all these things. So we would love to see that board light up in green and have that one red dot that's our big libertarian there, because that is going to demonstrate what a libertarian uh, would vote. But I think more importantly, just for the naysayers out there, it would show that, yes, libertarians can win. Then we can overcome that objection. And I think once we get that first win in the legislature, you know, we'll, we'll see more people coming over to us once they've, once they've seen that we can win. Um, <clears throat> 
And then in 2026, that's when we would, I would like to see us, you know, actually win that majority status. And there are a variety of, well, there are a couple of ways we can do that, of course. Um, right now, it would be through achieving that 5%. Um, but another method would be to actually have, um, a, 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 there's a number by statute, and I think it's 43 uh, House candidates, and then um, another number of Senate candidates. Um, and I think that is also possible. Our our um, speed bump there is in the petitioning process. So what I would like to do to that end is have us raise the money um, and doing this through, you know, a lot of major donors, sure, um, by putting forth a prospectus um, as to uh, what we will be doing with their money. And, and what we would be doing essentially with that money would be to hiring paid petitioners. Um, you know, that has always been an issue for the Libertarian Party is, um, you know, getting, taking those two weeks that we have to, to achieve enough petition signatures for statewide candidates in addition to um, any legislative candidates that we want to run. So that is my personal goal um, over the next, uh, is to raise enough money so that we can pay or pay volunteers. I have both our volunteers and, um, paid petitioners to achieve, um, to achieve can candidate access to the ballots for, uh, enough legislative candidates, um, so that we can become a major party at that point. Cool. Yeah. I know that the party has been kind of hesitant to spend money on like almost anything in the past. So that's kind of refreshing to hear that we'll, we'll be spending money wisely. Although, you know, I did float a very, like a, a, a small spend earlier and you were able to secure a volunteer for that. So like, I know that you're not just going to be profligate with, with the, with the checkbook, which is also good. Um, Rebecca. Yeah. <laughs> Rebecca, I'm going to let you ask questions because you're the co-host, but right now um, you're also the vice chair. So I'm going to, uh, take co-host prerogative and, and ask you some questions as well. Um, so you're, you were also running as running for chair uh, yeah. and um, you graciously accepted the the nomination for vice chair. Uh, and, you know, thank you for doing that because we do need that representation on the board from outstate Minnesota. How will you use your position to, to kind of further the interests uh, of libertarians in sort of the, the more rural areas, given that, you know, we've been sort of a, a city's focused party um, hitherto? Um, well, I think out here, you know, people are more likely to listen to somebody who is just a fellow rocks and cows. I feel like I say that a lot lately, but I mean, that's kind of like people out here have just kind of embraced that. And as that's kind of become, you know, Northern Minnesota, outstate Minnesota, like part of our identity, you know? So once that was said, everybody was just like, oh yeah, that's totally what we are. It's true. Um, so, you know, out here, there's a big disconnect between um, city people and rural people. Um, I recognize that. That uh, so, out, you know, people are going to be more likely to listen to a fair, a fellow rural, rural person, right? Um, that can not only talk about politics, but we can talk about our cows. You know, we can talk about, you know, our tractors, whatever you want to talk about. You know, like there's just there's a different type of personality. Um, that does well together. And I would really like to see, um, you know, like we started the Beltrami affiliate up here in 2021. 
Um, and it was just kind of like one of those things where, you know, when something is meant to be, when it happens so easily and so quickly and the right people just kind of come together and then all of a sudden, like, bam, we've got something going on. And that's what happened with that. Um, but before there was the Beltrami affiliate, there was nothing up here. And so for a long time, you know, I'd been watching like the Libertarian Party do stuff and, you know, kind of, but there wasn't an easily accessible door to get into the party and get involved simply for a lack of representation up here. So there wasn't anybody I could just like call on the phone and be like, hey, or, you know, like at events, go up to a booth and talk to people um, because there was nothing like that. So us having kind of that foot in the door and be able to hear about, you know, small town meetings, small town um, uh, things that you you don't know about until almost like the day or two before they happen, because things that pop up very quickly, um, you know, it just and spread by word of mouth. And that's how you're able to show up. So, uh, for instance, when the gun control bills were going through, you know, the legislation process and all the hearings and all that kind of stuff, um, there was, we had a two days notice that uh, there was going to be a meeting at the Eagles Club. And so uh, we showed up, but that's all it was. It was a 48 hour notice, showed up, but it was a packed room, right? And so then there was this public meeting about the gun control bills and, you know, because there was a lot of concerned people. But through being able to like just hear about that and, and hearing about that word of mouth meant that we were able to go there. And um, I was able to talk, uh, which is was nerve wracking because um, the Beltrami GOP was also there. Anyways, there's a whole history behind that also. And, um, and, but it, because it was their meeting. And so I was able to be like, get the mic, be like, I'm representing the Libertarian Party in Minnesota. And, you know, we're, we're also watching this. And anyways, just by mentioning the Libertarian Party in Minnesota, there was reactions by people in the room, um, just kind of generalized of just like, yay, you know, those kinds of things, you know? So people are watching, people are paying attention um, there's a lot of, you know, around presidential um, uh, campaigns, you know, whoever the Libertarian Party wants as a presidential candidate. So there's going to be a lot more attention around it then. But um, I don't remember where I was going with that. Sorry. Um, but just just being able to like have like be able to talk to people and then be able to come and talk to me afterwards. And that, that happened after that meeting just by mentioning I'm from the Libertarian Party of Minnesota. I'm representing them. And after the meeting, people were coming and talking to me and trying to find out information. So that's being able to be up here and be present and be active and hear about these little things makes mm -hmm. it possible for us to grow out here. Um, and like I said, this is meetings that aren't going to show up on a like a calendar or any of that kind of stuff. People out here are very, uh, it's very different than the cities. So it's a lot of, you know, small talk and yeah. gossip and, you know, things move like that, like wildfire, but um, that's how you hear about it, but you won't know unless you're here. Awesome. Um, Marianne, where do you think, uh, where do you think that that one candidate is going to come from? Do you have any ideas? Um, 
you know, I, I have not taken the time yet to analyze the districts. So um, it's going to be running, um, it's going to be running hard, cold numbers, but then it's also going to be, you know, intuiting um, in addition to, you know, where the Republicans and Democrats are coming down, also kind of intuiting where the most libertarian areas are. And outstate is, you know, that's going to be your libertarian people. But there's also in, you know, in the city, you know, Minneapolis, there's a there's a libertarian edge as well. Versus of libertarianism, you know, your rocks and cows are going to be your more conservative libertarians um, and your metro is going to be your more lefty libertarians. So I don't have an answer for you yet. It's going to be, you know, me sitting down and taking a few days just to go through that. Um, and we have other resources we could look at as well. But um, uh, I, I just don't have an answer for you yet, but I, I think we can focus strategically and, and to come up with that one winner yeah, we are going to run, have to run a few. Um, but I think, you know, by, by, by doing that, picking our, you know, maybe three to five, six most likely legislative districts, focusing our volunteer efforts, focusing, you know, any, any paid work, you know, that we, that we think we can afford um, into those areas. And then as the election proceeds, you know, we may, we may have to update that based on what we're seeing and, and, and further focus those resources into, you know, maybe two to three of them. Um, it's going to be fluid, you know, we will have to roll with it. Um, and it, a lot of that's going to also depend on where do we have good candidates. Um, so we have to look for the matchups between those uh, good candidates, candidates that fit the district um, and where we think our most potential wins could be. And, you know, we'll have to look at the incumbents and where are they weak. If they're outstate and they're um, anti-gun, for example, you know, that's something we look at. So it's there's not a cut and dried answer to that. Cool. Um. Rebecca, I, I want to let you chime in if you if you want, uh, if you have any questions or whatever. If not, uh, I'm going to ask Marianne about that poster behind her. <laughs> All right, uh, Marianne. So for those listening to the audio feed, there is a poster behind you of Lysander Spooner, who yeah. is my biggest influence when it comes to like straight up philosophy. Um, I just think he's fantastic. I think he's like the picture of the perfect 19th century American. He was an abolitionist who also supported secession um, and like just saw the government for what it was, even at that sort of Pollyanna-ish age where like, you know, everybody was just, you know, so gung-ho about this new thing that they had created. Um, what is, what, what's the significance of, of Spooner to you? Well, I mean, the, the funny thing about this poster though, my son, he works for conservative organizations and he just graduated from college um, about a year ago. So he was living here and he was on Zoom calls all the time. So he had a place, I, I moved it, but he had a place where he always did Zoom calls. So I put this up behind his, as a backdrop to him. He didn't notice it for a couple of times, but um I, I thought that was kind of funny because, yeah. you know, it, it is working with conservative organizations. I don't know if they knew who he was or not, but eh, fortunately my son moved out a little bit after that, but I, so I moved it over here. Um, I mean, that's, that's the cute story to it. I don't know if he's, you know, permanently scarred from that or not. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I do love Spooner. I, I was tempted to do, uh, I had, like I haven't always been the comms director, but I have been on the social media team for a while. And I was really tempted to do just like Spooner Day on Twitter for the LPMN. 
Um, although I, I, I thought better of it after, after a while, <laughs> but I have all these, I have all these Spooner memes and stuff. Um, and you know, maybe I'll write up something for the blog just because, uh, uh, I do, uh, he, he's just a huge inspiration to me next to, next to Ron Paul. He's probably my favorite, like pseudo libertarian, I guess. Um, I totally yeah. would have worn the sweatshirt with him on it to the LPMN convention, but I couldn't find it. That's all right. We had buttons. Um, <laughs> uh all right so here's here's something we so there was also kara schultz who was um she she was running for chair and uh kind of surprised everybody including you apparently um by by you know refusing the the nomination and 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 um you know we ended up electing her political director which is a great position for her uh but uh she wanted to do as part of her kind of chair campaign she she was going to do a board retreat um, and you're picking up, you're, you're picking that up, and I think it's a tremendous idea. What uh, what's in store for the board um, as we kind of go into this into this sort of day of of communing together? Yeah, well, and you know, I'm I, I want to pick up on the best ideas of everybody. Mm-hmm. So Rebecca had a lot of great outreach ideas, and you know, I, Kara had this board retreat, um, and I think it's so that. We don't have to go into our board meetings, you know, just on the fly, you know, with people bringing up particular issues. But I think the board retreat is for us to really define our goals and then, you know, at least define some broad steps that we want to take, which we can discuss in a more relaxed setting, um, you know, instead of just just trying to do these within an hour or two on a board meeting. Um, so it's just to define our broad vision, you know, some of the things I brought up. Um, But then also, you know, we want to hear from the communications team. We want to all be on the same page so that we're all working in the same direction. Um, I would also like to, in addition to the board meeting, have the board, you know, have work sessions in advance so that when we do come to a board meeting, we're not spending all of our time, you know, discussing and answering questions. So we already have those questions answered. So we have, you know, um, well-formed proposals that we can, you know, briefly discuss and take votes. So something more. So I think Kara comes from it because she's on the city council. Um, So I think she has been working in an environment where they, I think they do have, you know, an annual, uh, retreat like that. Um, and then they have their work sessions so that when they come into the city council, they have, um, you know, firm proposals with, with the answers and so forth. So um, I see this as being very valuable for us to define our, our greatest missions and then some broad outlines as to how we're going to accomplish those. Cool. Um so I know you're going to be meeting with our LNC representative, Mark Tunjevich, right after this. Uh, mm-hmm. And historically, um, Minnesota and the LNC or the, the National Party uh, broadly haven't really mixed. Um, it's not that we're hostile towards them. Some of us are. Um, it's just that like we, we don't really like we don't accept we don't ask for help from their candidate support committees. We don't um, like, you know, you're Charlie's predecessor. So Chris Holbrook. Uh, and he won't take this as like an insult or anything like that. He just didn't care about national at all. And so like his executive director was the representative to our, to like the, 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 the LNC's region and that kind of thing. 
Um, how do you anticipate working with the National Party? Are you going to be a, a more involved with them? Um, do you think that they're, you know, they're 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 a separate entity, so I'm not going to deal with them at all, or maybe somewhere in the middle? How, how do you how do you anticipate that that relationship? Yeah, I mean, they're not they're not a separate entity. Obviously, when we have a presidential candidate, we are all on the same page, you know, working for that. Um, I haven't I have not given it a lot of thought yet. I haven't had much interaction with the National yet. Um, you know, as you know, I've known I was going to be chair for about a week and a half now. So um, I knew, I guess, for less than 24 hours before I became chair. Um, right now, my eyes are on Minnesota because that's where we can have an effect. And that's where my goals are, you know, for what we want to accomplish. Um, the time is going to come when we'll be working with national. That's fine. And obviously, once we're into the presidential election, we're all on one page there. Um, but just for right now, I've had to focus my, just focus my brain onto what we're going to accomplish here, if that answers the question. Yeah, it absolutely does. Um, and, you know, Chris's Chris's slogan and and this I've come to find out that he didn't make it up, but he's the first person I ever heard say it uh, was not our not our monkeys, not our circus. And he would always just say that about national, which, you know, I, I feel that I feel like that's kind of a refreshing attitude to take, um, especially when it comes to some of the drama that that was going on or still might be. I don't know. Um, although it seems like the the LNC is um, kind of flattening out as far as uh, as far as some of those divisions go. So. That's good to hear. Um, sorry, did you did you need to say something? Well, I just said let's let's hope so because we all just need to be working together. Um, you know, divisions are that's the nature of politics. It is happens in every party: Republican Party, Democrats, divisions all over the effing place. So, um, and I know that's been here too. But I'm hoping that we're going to just all be keeping our eyes on our goals. Mm -hmm. I think there were just personality conflicts. Um, so far, I'm encouraged, and I hope you guys are too, because I'm really excited. We have so much talent on this board. Um, if if you want to separate out into, I don't know what you want to call it, Mises and not, um, the board's pretty mixed that way. But yeah. it seems like we all have the same goal. So I I'm I'm you know encouraged right now about that. Yeah. We, so I. Rebecca and I are both Mises, actually. Um, although, you know, I, I'm I'm a little bit more out front about my Mises-ness, uh, <laughs> I guess. Uh, but yeah, we, we when we were when we were kind of strategizing, one of the one of the big priorities that we had was, you know, putting up people who were going to be team players and not just like the Mises representative on the board. And, and I think everybody kind of kind of understood that um, going into this past convention that we were going to be. Uh, you know, a lot more diplomatic because that, that to me anyway, was kind of one of the mistakes that the Mises caucus made last year um, was, you know, we just kind of run, ran roughshod over everything. And, and that, that doesn't serve anybody. It doesn't, it, you know, it certainly doesn't serve us as a caucus, you know? Um, so, th and that's something that you and I actually talked about, um, you know, right after you joined the party, before you even, before you even were running for political director, you were running for at large. And you said something like, you know, um, you, you've been there, like you, you understand divisions and, and kind of how to navigate them. Um, although you did also say that you were kind of one of the radicals in the Republican party. And, and, and so some of the more kind of old hat, old hands were, were resistant to you as well. And you mentioned that earlier. Yeah. yeah. Um, how do you think, given your experience there, uh, 
how do you think you can help sort of bridge that bridge that gap, I guess, or bridge the bridge the divide is probably a better word to say. You know, I'm I'm just not really paying attention to whether somebody has a big M on their head or yeah. a big whatever the other thing is. I'm I just I'm look you know, I'm looking at everybody as having individual talents. You know, as libertarians, we recognize we're not members of a group. We're individuals. Mm -hmm. And that's how I'm looking at everybody. And everybody has something different to bring to the table. So we have so much talent that, um, you, you know, you guys call yourself whatever you want. I'm calling us all libertarians. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, yeah, there is some... There is a little bit of a balancing act going on and, you know, I'm aware of all this, um, but I'm just trying to be sure everybody has a place at the table. Mm -hmm. And, um, you know, with with Mises caucus people understanding that with people who aren't in Mises caucus understanding that understanding that I'm trying to keep everybody together for as long as we can. And I hope yeah. indefinitely, um, you know, I appreciate you all working with me as well, you know, understanding that we're working for the same goal. Um, so I just want to keep reminding people of that, that, um, and I don't think it's, there's anything ideological. That's a difference. It's just, uh, you know, you, you, I get, I take it that Mises kind of formed uh, potentially for ideological purposes um, or because of differences with candidates and so forth. That's fine. Um, but my goal and what I am trying to do is just keep everybody pointed in the same direction mm -hmm. uh, so that within Minnesota, we can make gains for liberty. Yeah, I think that's much needed. Um, Rebecca, you, you got any questions or anything lined up? Um, so one of the things that, you know, like the party has been kind of lacking in my opinion is just that the, we have a number of divisions, um, and you know, James is the comms director, but we have other divisions too, that have to be built essentially from the ground up because there hasn't been a lot of attention, hasn't been a lot of work put into them. Um, so what's kind of your, you know, knowing that that's one of the things that we have to overcome, what would you like to see happen with those? You brought up a lot of great things about outreach. And you, earlier you were just talking about the affiliates or, you know, the outstate affiliates, certainly. And those affiliates are going to be just crucial to bringing people into the party. Um, to to kind of build on that, um, our data needs a lot of improvement every time we touch somebody out there. So Rebecca, if you're going to a GOP meeting and you have people coming up to you afterwards, um, or if you're out at the well, state fair, obviously, but out, you know, at other events, um, we need to be capturing people whenever we touch them or whenever they touch us. Um, so I know the IT team is going to be working on having an intake app that we can be running on tablets so that anybody out at events can be capturing that information. Um, we, we aren't just our members. Yes, our members are the ones who elect the board. Our members, you know, participate in a very integral way, but there are, are all these other people I mentioned before, the Republicans who are on the edge, you know, of the party, all those mm -hmm. independents out there, all those people who agree with us. Every time we touch them, we need to, yeah, I know 
big data, we don't like it. But um, if they're willing to give us their contact information, they say, well, I want to be involved. They might not want to sign up for membership right then and there. But those people are still critical to what we're doing because those people are the ones who on legislation, you know, they can be emailing their, you know, reps and senators um, on elections. Obviously, <laughs> you know, we need Everybody who is, we need to know everybody who is willing to tell us they are interested in supporting libertarians. Um, so there's going to be um, an, an aspect from the IT team where we're going to be beefing up and probably changing our database. Um, and there's going to be, um, you know, for outreach, you know, for affiliates, there's going to be a method to um, bring those people into the party, even if they don't want to be official, become official members. Um, and we also want to support those affiliates because the affiliates are the ones who know what's going on in their area about, you know, the, all the meetings that we just don't have on the calendar or we would have no way of knowing about. And that's where those affiliates are going to be absolutely critical. Um, we need them up and running, you know, somewhat autonomously, um, you know, so so as as the state board, we want to support uh, everything you're doing in that way. So yeah, outreach outreach is uh, you know going to be critical, and um, you know the the IT department is going to be critical, and you know in different ways, but all coalescing. Um, and obviously, communications, James, you're on top of that. Um, so I, I think just with with improvements in those three departments, you know, we're going to be so far ahead. Because we're going to know who we can be talking to, who we can be working with. And we don't want to forget political as well, which. Uh... No, well, no, obviously not political. I mean, we all support the whole board. Everything we're doing yeah. is supporting the political because the political is the candidates and the elections, but also yeah. the legislation. The, the work that the work that Kara has been doing just the last couple of days, even um, and not just Kara, like we have a whole we have a whole ass group chat going uh, to 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 you know, talk about this legislation um, that Senator uh, Westland put up as sort of a, an alternative to that 10% rule that we were talking about earlier. Um, you know, some of these just little tiny things that the that the senators, um, you know, that the, the, the politicians in general just don't really, uh, they, they don't even understand. Like, you know, that legal size paper thing that Chip testified to yesterday in the Senate um, but, you know, who, who thought that the size of a piece of paper would really matter? Uh, but that's a, that's a huge thing. I mean, you know, I, I, am not sitting here with, with legal size paper in my printer. I've got letter size paper and, you know, if I'm going to go out and petition, then I would like to be able to just print it, you know, right here in my office rather than needing to go to FedEx or whatever. And then if they can move that, move that to electronic, oh, that's mm. leaps and bounds for us. Yeah. Um, a friend of mine, well, a, a Ron Paul guy, uh, Kale Barr, who's a state senator now, um, we were messaging earlier today because this is coming up to the Senate floor today. It's probably going on right now. Um, but he wants to uh, work with the Secretary of State's office to create um, a blockchain method for electronic signatures. So, you know. A Ron Paul guy talking about blockchain in the Secretary of State's office? That's a... <laughs> That's a huge yeah, surprise. Wow. Yeah. We did we did elect a few people out of the Ron Paul movement. So Kale Barr is one of those senators. And um Gene Dornick is also was also a Ron Paul guy. He's a senator as well. So maybe those two are ones we could bring over, you know, once we prove to them that we can win. 
Yeah, that'd be that'd be really cool. Um, you know, if it seems like it seems like the the pattern is, you know, a Republican is getting primaried or, you know, they're they're a they're a Republican in a blue district. So what the hell? I'll go ahead and convert to libertarian uh, or they're retiring or just whatever it is. Uh, getting libertarians actually elected um, is, a you know, that's a that's a really big hurdle. Um, so, mm -hmm. uh, you know. But you know what? Just one. I know it doesn't sound like much to, you know, if you went out to a GOP thing and said, I want to elect one Republican, you know, but to yeah. us, that's the leap. That's the quantum leap to us. Yeah. That well, is, and that's Rebecca, how we show people we can win. I figure, you know, once you have like the one and that's the foot in the door and then it just starts taking off, you know, like you said earlier, you know, you, you, that starts going faster and faster and faster. And right now, laying the groundwork for that to be able to happen is going to prop up everything else that happens in the future. So, yeah. 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 Rebecca, you've talked about the sort of just how mismanaged and seemingly corrupt the state GOP is. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and, you know, I mean, you you basically have said, look, they, they don't even deserve to be a party anymore. No, um, I don't think which, they do. Uh, I, I think it's, I, you know, for so it's hilarious. It's really funny that, that you bring that up because, you know, who thinks of the Republican Party as you know, not being a party anymore. It's been around for what, 150 years. Um, yeah. But I mean, the party of abolition, I mean, they've outlived their purpose, right? Yeah, so exactly. They're no longer part, you know, they're no longer the party of freedom and, you know, personal rights. And, you know, it started out as, you know, protesting slavery, but at this point now they're complicit with making us slaves to the system. Mm -hmm. At the very least, they're not able to hold back the onslaught of what is currently happening, which is almost just as bad. I mentioned my primary in 2020. Um, I did get beat out by the Republican there because the entire Republican Party came into my district, swooped in because I was the bloody red queen. They couldn't have me. Um, um, as an aside, I think that helped Eric Mortensen get through because they started to ignore him because they were trying to beat me. Um, but the guy I ran against who is in the legislature now. He didn't win in 2020, but he won in 2022. He just voted to keep universal background checks in the omnibus bill. So, you know, we've got Republicans out there voting against our gun rights, you know, against all our liberties. So yeah, right. I'm with you. Yeah. Yeah. Well, um, the, the Beltrami GOP here in, you know, our County, they, uh, I ran for school board last election cycle and I was the evil libertarian, which, I mean, if they'd sat down, had a conversation with me, they would have realized that actually we have a lot in common. Um, but I think that mostly it was because they knew, you know, I couldn't be sold. They weren't going to be able to buy me. They couldn't tell me what to do. And in response to that, they uh, wrote down, published and distributed publicly information that accused me of being a drug addict. I mean, I just, you know, that's, they're going to be the authors of their own destruction. And you can try to tell them, you know, give them advice. Like the guys, you can't do this, but they're not going to listen. So let them push people to us. Fine. Mm -hmm. Speaking of and it did. Board. I actually did really well in that election. I think a lot of it was because of that. So. Speaking of school board races, um, how do you both feel about this, uh, the the kind of the strategy of running in nonpartisan races or really focusing on those. 
uh, Marianne, I'll, I'll let you, I'll let you start. Sure. I mean, I, I think that's great. You can do a lot of libertarian things at a city council level. You can slide in under the radar. Um, it helps us to build our bench team so that we do have people running at other levels. Um, so I don't want to take anything away from that. I guess I, I still think we really need that person win you know with a libertarian i want to see that in the state legislature because that's going to get notice mm-hmm. um so a libertarian in the state legislature is not going to pass bills on their own um whereas on the city council you know they would be much more effective that way so if you want to talk about tangible liberty yeah you're more likely to get that done on a city council level um and so i, I think that's just very important, but I still come back to getting that one libertarian in the legislature because that's where we're going to um, be noticed for an electoral success, and that's what's going to uh, bring more people to us. So again, I, I, I think running local candidates, nonpartisan races, is great, and there are a lot of reasons for that. But then there are different reasons for you know having that libertarian partisan win. Mm-hmm. Rebecca, anything to add to that? Yeah, you know, just so from running for school board, I realized by the time that the election cycle or the election was about to happen that I actually I was like, I didn't I didn't want it uh, mostly because school board's a little different than, say, something like city council. Like they're not making decisions for the school district and then being able to influence the direction that the school district is going. And a lot of the problems uh in the school districts, in the public school, well, in all states, but maybe, I mean, you know, especially here, it really need to be fixed at a legislative level. So they're just kind of following, you know, they get the, they get the information down and they're enacting policy, but they're not directing policy. They're not Hmm. like creating it, you know? Um, And so once I realized like just, and we're homeschoolers too. So, uh, and so a little bit before in that I, I went to school to be a teacher, realized that the school system was a complete mess. It was different than when I was a kid, got out, quit, um, quit my master's degree and went to being a homeschooler. And so I've been homeschooling for the last 15 years. And once I started running for school board, I was like, this is, this is a disaster. I couldn't do anything that the school districts absolutely needed by being a school board member. In fact, it might tie my hands and keep me from being able to make the influence, like the type of change that I see that they need. Right. Because, you know, you have that professionalism and, you know, things that they expect from a school board member and all that kind of, I couldn't, I couldn't sit and talk out against public schools being a school board member. Sure. So um, it's kind of glad I was, I was really glad going into the election that I didn't actually win. I was anyways, but you know, those elections are important because for a small town, one of the reasons I think is I did as well as I did is just by being a community member and being active in the community and being present and part of these things that are going on. I realized I knew a lot of people. And so when you know people and you have a reputation and that reputation kind of surrounds who you are, um, you know, so like trying to overcome like the small local elections are going to be easier to do because people know who you are. You're not just the crazy libertarian or whatever, but they know you by, you know, what you've already accomplished, by how you treat them. 
by, you know, just knowing like, oh, how's your, you know, your kids doing and knowing somebody by name, mm-hmm. um, which is a benefit of those small town, you know, the, the local nonpartisan elections. And then once you build up your background, then you're more likely to be able to, you know, that reputation follows you and be able to overcome those larger elections. So that's, that's what we need. We need people with good, solid reputations that have something to provide. You know, people aren't going to vote on just hopes and dreams, generally speaking. Um, so when we have something... Unfortunately, they do too often. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I suppose that is what Obama ran on. So, you know... But, you know, you know, when we have something we can provide, like this is what the libertarians have done. This is what, you know, or people who are libertarians have accomplished. When you can mm-hmm. hand them a set of accomplishments, they're going to be more likely to listen, in my opinion. So, you know, one- the nice thing is that a lot of the or most of the nonpartisan races are in off years. And so we don't really have to pick one or the other. We right. can do both and yeah. keep our volunteers active, keep our candidates active. I think one of the, well, so we get attacked from the left and the right. Uh, Like I've been called a fascist before from a leftist. (laughs) Um, And, but even beyond that, like both, both of those kind of wings think that libertarians have just been in in control for decades. (laughs) And that's why we're in the state that we're in. Um, you know, it's the, it's the free market that did all this. And like everybody knows, well, yeah. every libertarian knows that we have nothing to do with a free market in the, the current economy. Um, but whether it's, whether it's, you know, nationalist Republicans who, you know, want to do trade protection because, you know, they want to protect the jobs and, and, you know, not, not import cheap Chinese crap or whatever, or the left who thinks that capitalism is the devil and, and, you know, the, the root of all of our problems, how do we dispel these myths? How do we show ourselves as, you know, not the party of the billionaires? I mean, it's really the Republicans and Democrats who for years have been, you know, creating billionaires just by virtue of their of their regulatory capture and stuff. How do we how do we get around that or get past that and help people to see kind of reality for what it is? You know, and some to, to some extent, we need to know our audience. So if we're running a libertarian in Minneapolis, you know, we're going to talk about corporatism, you know, as a and differentiate that from the free market. Whereas if you're running in the suburbs or out state, you can talk about the free market. So, so some, a lot of that is, you know, knowing your audience. Um, but we could probably do, you know, libertarians are so smart, aren't we? We're so smart, but we don't connect a lot of times with people. And Rebecca, you touched on this. A lot of times it's knowing you. It's, it's, they, you know, if you come to their door, um, you know, what matters more to them than the issues is that you care about them, you know, Mm -hmm. that you're one of them, that you're a member of the community. Um, So, so yes, we're, you know, we, we will, as candidates want to debate this to some degree, but there is the old saw that in an election, you can do one of two things, but not both in an election. You can either educate or you can win. And a lot of times as libertarians, we we're more interested in 
not understanding the voters so much as in telling the voters what our point of view is. So I think we can get better on that just as, as libertarians in general, but as candidates. So, so James, that's in your communication team's bailiwick. <laughs> um, but I think that's something we should, you know, just spend a little time on and, you know, discussing how we are presenting issues because we can say, um, we can tell them the truth, but in framing it properly, you know, depending on what your audience is. Cool. Uh, Rebecca, anything to add to that? Um, no, I don't think so. I think you pretty much like just, you know, the individual, when people are seen as an individual, whether they believe in individualism or not, <laughs> you know, be able to recognize them as a, pe as a person. Um, that goes a lot further than just trying to, but anyways, small. Yeah. yeah. So I guess that's all I have to add really. Okay. Awesome. I agree. Yeah, uh, and I'm 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 rethinking some of my libertarian orthodoxy, which I'm not going to get into here. But you know, maybe I'll, maybe <laughs> I'll write about it. Alexander Spooner is just leave it. <laughs> I know, I know. I was a I've been a card carrying ANCAP for 13 years, so like you know, I'm I'm rethinking I'm rethinking things ideologically, which uh, is it's always a tough process to go through, and we have to remember that for especially for you know people who are uh, predisposed to wanting the government to fix their problems rather than seeing the government for kind of what it is, the creator of most of the problems. And then when they try to fix them, it just creates more. Um, you know, and a lot of this too is just programming. Mm -hmm. You know, the people have allowed themselves to think one way. And like you said, it's going to take time, but we need to like consider that, you know, the job that we have in front of us, especially as communications is, you know, to deprogram what people have been fed. Uh -oh. It can be good, but it's also going to be different and difficult sometimes. We need to come up with those free market solutions for whatever the problem is government is trying to answer, you know, whether yeah. it's healthcare, whether it's schooling. You know, I've gotten on conservatives because they... <laughs> I, I've been in politics for 30 years, right? And every year there's a new educational monster that the conservatives are trying to fight and it's whack-a-mole it was outcome-based education it was uh i don't know it's been critical race theory it's been all these things yeah. it's like why are you handing your kids over to government yeah that's my answer so and, and rebecca is a homeschooler you know you've got you've got answers you can you know give on that yeah. um but there there are free market solutions to these problems, you know, that the government's trying to solve. And so we just need to get better at that. Yeah. All right. Great. Well, um, I think we can leave it there. Marianne, do you have any parting words? Um, I want everybody who is watching this, listening to this, to get ready to rock and roll with us because we have some big ambitious plans and we need every. Yeah, totally. Volunteers and money, man. That's what, uh, that's, yeah. that's what People. we need, especially volunteers. Like we, you know, I mean, don't stop donating, but like, man, if you, uh, if you have time on a weekend this summer to stand at a, stand in a booth and, you know, just talk to people and give them literature and stuff. I know it's hot and I know you get sweaty and you would rather be at your kid's soccer game or whatever, but, uh, this is, this is a big deal. This is It can be really encouraging too, though, because you, yeah. you just, you're you'd be surprised how many people agree with you once you start talking to yeah. them. Yeah. Yeah. It's crazy. Uh, so many people like not ready to join the party, but total fellow travelers. Um, so we got to get them in our funnel as well.
Yeah. Uh, Rebecca, anything from you? No, I think that, you know, the, I, I'm, I'm feeling really positive about the future. And like I said, I'm just, I'm eager to just kind of hit the ground running and mm. that's what I want to see. But the volunteers definitely, like I have people in mind, I'm like, we've got these jobs, let's just go and do them, you know, yeah. and overcome this. So let's go. All right. Great. Well, thank you both uh, for taking the time tonight. Marianne, we will talk soon. Um, and Rebecca, too. I'm sure we'll talk on the phone tomorrow. And Rebecca, we need to talk, too. <laughs> <laughs> All right. See y'all. Bye. Bye.